G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. The Bible is not a book about how bad you are. It is a book about how good God is. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, thanks for joining me. My name is Bill. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Now, God knows us inside out. In this episode, Pastor Jeff starts a new series of messages about how we can come to know God. Maybe not inside out, but much better through the study of the Bible. This first message looks at Moses and the burning bush to illustrate some things that happen to those who have had a life-changing experience with God. You can find this passage of Moses and the bush in Exodus chapter 3. So let's hear from Pastor Jeff now on Today with Jeff Vines. You have your Bibles with you, turn over to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we'll be starting with verse 1 and 2. We'll get there just in a moment. Uh, Those of you who are new, you've decided, you know what, God wants me back in church. Or, you know what, I've been out of church for a while and I feel this tugging in my heart to go back and to see what God has for me, I want you to know that you're welcome, and we're very glad you're here. And actually, we start this new series called Inside Outside with you specifically in mind. And so as you turn over to Exodus chapter 3, I want to remind you that the Bible is not a book about how bad you are. It is a book about how good God is. It's not a book about how bad you are. It is a book about how good God is. And how all through history, that history is his story. It's about how God has been about the business from the beginning of time until now and will continue on past now into the future to redeem and restore mankind to himself. And when you start to read the Bible with those eyes, then your perspective changes. And let me just say, you need God. All of us need him so desperately This world will offer you some things that you will enjoy, but you will know down deep inside, they will not last forever. And if you're ever going to experience true joy, you're going to have to recognize that that only comes when you have an intimate relationship, when there's a connection between you and God. Now, there is no better story that I know of. And by the way, we talk about the Bible is this book that doesn't show us how bad we are, but how good God is. But one of the primary reasons for the Bible is so that you and I would know how we can connect with God. And it shows this beautiful dynamic of how God comes into contact with us and how intimacy and community are developed. 
So as we search for God, the Bible becomes our number one tool to learn how is it that we can have relationship? How is it that God can come on the inside and change us and mold us? Because when you do become a believer and when you connect with God, everything in your life changes, right? Now, here's what I want you to do. You have a bulletin outline, which is rare. So those of you who love to fill in the blanks, you're going to love this series. But I need all of you Write it down, make your own notes, and follow me, because here's what we're asking. According to the Bible, how do we find God? And as we look at the story of Moses, the famous story where Moses encounters the burning bush, we learn that people who have a life-changing experience with God were willing to do three things. Let me say it again. People who were willing, or people who had a life-changing experience with God, we're willing to do three things. So here we go. Number one is this. They were willing to turn aside from the ordinary. Now, according to the story, here's how it goes. Moses is just watching the flock of sheep. And that's the totality of his life. He's a shepherd in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us he sees a bush that is on fire that did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now, you think about what happens here. Moses sees a burning bush. But it's not just a burning bush, it's a bush that keeps burning, but it's never consumed. Now, the word translated go over just does not do the story justice. The Hebrew word actually means to turn aside, to go off the beaten path, to leave what is ordinary. Now, look up and, and just follow me here for a second. If some of you have read C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters, right? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, a good read, you need to do it. It's an allegory about how things happen in the spirit world. And Screwtape is actually a senior devil giving advice to the junior devil on how to tempt mankind and keep him away from the enemy, the enemy being Jesus Christ. So on one occasion, the senior devil is tutoring the junior devil, and he tells him the story of the time that he almost lost an atheist, someone that he invested decades of his time into. And suddenly the atheist decided to go into the library and he started to contemplate the deeper, more penetrating questions of life. He was asking questions of origin and meaning and morality and destiny. And suddenly, he started going in the direction of God. And the devil was panicking. And he knew all he had to do was get him out of that library. So he put a little simple thought in his mind. He put the thought, isn't it about lunchtime? And the enemy, that is Jesus, put another thought. Hey, there are some things in life more important than lunch. To which Screwtape responded by saying, yeah, all the more to go get a full stomach before you try to delve into such deep issues of philosophy. Now, here's what happens. Screwtape says, I finally got him out of the library. And he finishes by saying, once I got him into the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper. I showed him the number 13 bus going past as usual. And before he had reached the bottom of the steps, I had gotten into him the reality that whatever odd ideas may come into his head when he's shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life was enough to show him that that sort of thing just could not be true. He is safe now in his father's house below. The whole point of the allegory is to show us that the devil's primary objective in entire lives is that he would distract us from the extraordinary by keeping us focused on the ordinary. And as long as he can keep us focused on day-to-day -day ruts and routines, we will not contemplate and we will disengage concerning the deeper issues of life. 
Now think about it for a moment. You get up, take a shower, some of you. <laughs> you have a little breakfast, you drop the kids off at school. Or maybe you go to work, you spend the whole day doing tasks and thinking about the tasks that you need to do before the day's over. You spend eight or nine hours doing the same thing every day. Then you go home, you have a little dinner, and then you spend about three hours in front of the idiot box. That's what it is, you know. It's just making you dumber and dumber. And then you finally fall asleep into bed at night and you get up the next day and you start the whole routine all over again. That is normal. That is the ordinary part of our lives. And what the story of Moses' encounter with the burning bush shows us is that ordinary life makes us too busy and disinclines us to think about the deeper issues and the meaning of life. When Moses found God, he was not searching for him. When Moses found God, he was not searching. He was in ordinary life. He just wanted to get his flock home to safety, away from this burning bush. But God sent a disruption. And I want you to see right from the get-go, if you're going to find God, and if you're going to grow in God, because it's the same dynamic, you've got to be willing for God to send disruptions into your life to get you out of the ordinary, so that you can be distracted from the ordinary and be possessed by the extraordinary. You've got to understand the Bible says that Moses turned aside, that he stepped out of the ordinary life to see a strange side. And if you ever hope to find God, you've got to understand that God must send something into your life to turn you aside. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in ordinary life and you will never turn aside on your own. So number one, common characteristics. People who find God, who have that life-changing discovery of relationship with God, are willing to turn aside from the ordinary. Two, they're willing to embrace burning bushes. Now, stay focused. You're going to have to think a little bit this weekend, but stay with me here. What is a burning bush? It is a paradigm bomb. It's when you believe the world is this way, and because you believe the world is this way, these types of things do not happen. But suddenly, these types of things start happening. That's called a paradigm bomb. It's like if you believe or don't believe in aliens. Uh, I like what uh, my son's friend said once on Facebook. He said, I don't think there is intelligent life on other planets. Why should those planets be any different from ours? You with? Now think about it. Think, let's say that you don't believe in aliens, but then one day a spaceship lands in your backyard. Then what happens? You're going to have to change your world of view. Suddenly, you believe the world exists this way, and in this world that you hold, these type things don't happen. But when these things start happening, you've got to change your whole world view. That is a paradigm bomb. That is a burning bush. Think about it from the perspective of Moses. He sees a bush that is burning, but is not consumed. Paradigm bomb. The world must not be the way he thinks it, it ought to be. Now, at that point, when Moses sees the burning bush, he has one of two choices, same way we always do. One, he can run from the burning bush. He can get his flock out of there immediately to safety, or when the paradigm bomb comes, he can embrace the contradiction, turn aside from ordinary life, and investigate, see where this burning bush leads. And burning bushes, paradigm bombs, often lead us into a life-changing encounter with God. Now, here's the thing. Stay with me. Here's what we're saying. We're saying that the only way you're going to find and discover God, and by the way, the same way you discover God is the same way you grow in God. The only way you can continue to grow in God is if God continues to send disruptions to get you out of the pool of ordinary life, to get you out of the stream because you're going where everybody else is going. So he's got to disrupt you. And if you want that encounter with God and to keep that intimacy and to keep that growth, you've got to be willing for those disruptions to come. Now, when he sends the burning bush, and by the way, 
There are four types of burning bushes he sends into every life. Here's the first kind, still in your bulletin, an inexplicable person. Now, I like to read World War I and World War II history. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the name Mitsuo Fuchida, who was the commander of the Imperial Japanese Navy. He led the first wave of 183 bombers on Pearl Harbor. He was the one that shouted the war cry, Tora, Tora, Tora. And out of the 70 Japanese officers who participated in the raid on Pearl Harbor, he's the only one to return to Japan alive. He later fought against the U.S. in the Pacific and was considered by the Japanese people as a national hero. Now, following the war, he met an American by the name of Jacob DeShazar. And DeShazar was an American Doolittle Raider. He's one of the Americans that that was able to fly off of the, the aircraft carrier deck and make it all the way to uh, Japanese land and drop bombs to let the Japanese people know, this is before Hiroshima, to let the Japanese people know that just because there's an ocean that divides us, we can reach you, and it demoralized the Japanese people. But like most of them, they had enough fuel to get to the island, but not enough fuel to get back. So they crashed, landed, and they were put into prisoner of war camps. And if you've read anything about war wars, you'll know that Japanese war camps were some of the worst camps ever. The torture was relentless. They were brutal camps with relentless pursuit to try to break the spirit and the resolve. Well, after spending three years as an American pilot in these war camps, after the war was over, the Shazar returned to Japan as a missionary. And in his preaching of the gospel of grace and mercy and forgiveness, he comes across the path of Fuchida, the, the hero, the national hero in Japan. Now, to Fuchida, the Shazar was a, a paradigm bomb. He was a burning bush. He had never seen anything like this in his life. It caused him to question his view of the world because here's this American who had suffered tremendous torture in a Japanese war camp and now was coming back to Japan after the war to talk about how much he loved the Japanese people. And Fujita saw a genuine love and compassion for his own people that was a paradigm bomb that just exploded his worldview. So much so that he decided to pick up a New Testament and start reading it. And he came to the passage when Jesus was on the cross, dying at the hands of evil men. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that was enough for Fujita. He said, how is this possible in our world? This kind of mercy and this kind of compassion does not exist. And you know what happened? He became a Christian and he wrote a book called From Pearl Harbor to Calvary. And this is what he said in his book. He said, I would give anything to retract my actions of 29 years ago at Pearl Harbor, but it is impossible. Instead, I now work at striking the death blow to the basic hatred which infests the human heart and causes such tragedies. You see, to Fuchida, the Shazar was a burning bush, a paradigm bomb, something or someone that he had to stop and think and say, wow, is it possible the world could be this way? So he pulled himself out of the stream, he takes a closer look, and he becomes a believer. Folks, it doesn't have to be that dramatic, though. Dr. Tim Keller, that I'm indebted to for much of this outline, he says this. He says, he knew a boss who took blame on behalf of an employee to the supervisor. She was so stunned that her boss took blame or a mistake that she had made before the supervisor so that she could keep her job. 
And he tells the story how she was amazed that she was only used to blame shifting, not blame taking. So she thanked her boss and said, why would you do that for somebody you don't know that well? Why would you risk your own job for the sake of protecting mine? And he said, well, I just did it. But she persisted. Day after day, why did you do that? And finally he told her, okay, if you got to know, it's because I'm a Christian and my God took the blame for me so that I could take the blame for others. You know what he's talking about, right? The cross. He takes our sin and our punishment that we deserve. That was a paradigm bomb, Keller says to her friend. And in her mind, religious people are blamers, not people who will take the blame on behalf of others. Her whole model was exploded. She stopped, she contemplated, she got out of the stream of life. She went to church, found other people who had great compassion and became a Christian. Now, let me stop right there for a moment. Christians, this is our calling. You are called to be a paradigm bomb. You are called to demonstrate such compassion and forgiveness and self-control and gentleness and righteousness in your life that people would look at you in first and think, wow, you know, is this person for real? But over time, they see the dramatic change and transformation in your life that they would stand back and have to question their own worldview. And they perhaps would say, wow, is it true that people like that really exist? And because they discover that, yes, it's true, that paradigm bomb turns their world upside down and they begin the inside-outside change. Number one, paradigm bomb could be an inexplicable person, but it can also be an inexplicable train of thought. Now, you know what we're talking about here. We're talking about that God sends paradigm bombs. We're talking about that God sends disruptions into your life. And four of those are important to know because at the end, I'm going to ask you, what paradigm bomb is God sending into your life to disrupt you so that you could grow in God or so that you could discover him for the first time? It could be an inexplicable train of thought. Now, here's the amazing thing in our time. Spiritual seeking is at an all-time high. Did you know that? It is now acceptable to say, I am a spiritual seeker. However, while it is very popular to say, I am a spiritual seeker, it is very unpopular to say that you found anything. <laughs> you with me? You can say, I'm searching. Oh, that's cool, brother. But if you say, I found, you can't do that because that would be exclusive. And exclusivity is a no-no in a pluralistic world. Man, what a tension. There's all these people seeking, knowing that they really can't ever say they found anything. Now, the books on spirituality, they all come to the same conclusion. The reason that there's a massive search for spirituality in America today is because we've begun to understand there is a lack of coherency between logical conclusion of materialism and real life. And this is where you say, Pastor Jeff, what? All right. Let me read a quote to you from Jack Miles, who writes for the New York Times, who is also a spiritual seeker. Here's what he says. Now listen closely, and I'll explain it. We'll go through it. He says, a man or woman who turns to religion may not do so to acknowledge the mystery of God or religion, but to acknowledge the mystery of the felt necessity to live a moral life, even when the grounds of morality cannot be known. Now that might give you a headache, but for me, I read that and I think, yes. But basically it's saying this, it's saying that if we have a moral lawgiver, he must be absolute and he gives us an absolute moral law to give us categories of good and evil. So there's no such thing as good and evil unless we have an absolute moral law giver. At least there's no such thing as absolute good and evil unless we have an absolute moral law giver. So now the materialistic people are looking at this and they're thinking, wow, 
There's a problem here. I believe in absolute good and evil, but I've begun to realize that I can't hold that position unless there is a moral law giver, God. It's like they're saying, we are secular people. There should be no absolutes, but there are. Rape, child pornography, genocide. Others are saying, if this is a material universe, who made the material? Why do we search for meaning if there's no God? Why do we search for the answers to life and death if there's no God and if there's no heaven? Why do we long for it so much? As if somehow down deep inside, we know that there's something beyond. And Miles, who is not a Christian, ends the article by saying this. He says, if my worldview is correct, that this world is all there is, then there can't be such a thing as beauty, morality, real injustice, or evil. But there is. These are burning bushes. They're paradigm bombs. These are realities and ideas that wake us up, get us out of the stream of the ordinary, and lead us to God. So it could be an inexplicable person. It could be an inexplicable train of thought. Third, it could be an inexplicable trouble. Now, this ought to hit everybody. New Year's, a lot of people come back to church because they've realized something, that they're not in control of their lives. No matter how hard you try, there's always another dynamic. And it feels like sometimes it's out to kill you. And so people often come back to church in the new year to find, to discover, is there anybody in my corner? Is there anybody that's for me? I want to show you a graph of my life. This is my story. And I sat down and really took some time. I couldn't do everything. But these are key times in my life when I thought about going the other way. Oh, Pastor Jeff. You had thoughts about going the other way? Of course. We, I mean, that's natural. Doubt is part of life. And I remember living my entire life to get a Division I basketball scholarship. And then I come to the end of my senior year in high school, and all the five starters, I'm the only one that did not get a Division I scholarship offer. So right then, I questioned God. God, I thought you were on my side. You know, this is what I wanted. Where are you? So I kind of took a dip. But then I got to know God in a more special way than I had not known him before. And I started to go back up again. And then I started to tell myself, maybe, maybe it's because I'm from a small town and the right coaches didn't see me. So I went to a place called Tennessee Tech University to, to have a chance to play in front of major coaches so that maybe I'd get a division one scholarship. And I told you that story. It took me all of 10 minutes to realize I don't belong here. I mean, these guys are really good. So again, there's a little dip. God, why did you put this passion in my heart all my life if you knew this was not going to become fruition or a reality? So I start to sink again. And then God gave me a new calling and I realized it was Africa. So Robin and I went to Africa and I had a new calling, a new lease on life, a new purpose. But then after a certain amount of time, the government of Zimbabwe told us we could not come back, that we were no longer welcome. And all expat work permits were revoked and I had to return to the States. And again, God, why did you do that? Why? But I got to know God a little better. Got to know God a little more. I started to climb in my knowledge of God. I started to ask the deeper questions of life, meaning, purpose, death, origin, all of that. And then my mom died. And now I really start to question God. I'm going downhill. Things are getting bad. God, where are you? Have you ever asked the question, God, where are you? Clearly, Pastor Jeff has had times in his life like that. Join me next time to hear the remainder of his story and how you can call on God in challenging times. Sometimes God has to send a disruption of some kind, an inexplicable trouble to pull you out of the stream, to get you out of ordinary life because the road on which you're traveling is not going to end well. 
Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.